Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Easy Conversations, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host for Candandia. This week's episode is really special as I've tried to do something different uh, with Valentine's Day coming up here in a few days. I sat down with my partner Angie, who's uh, also the owner and founder of Living Flow State. Um, In this episode, Angie and I talk about our challenges in the relationship, some of the goals we have, and how we work through conflict resolution. What we wanted to highlight in this episode is that every relationship takes a lot of effort and communication. But the biggest thing is understanding that uh, there's a deeper level of self-work that needs to happen before any individual can come to a relationship and be present. And if you don't spend that time understanding yourself, it's really hard to understand the other person. And I hope people can get that from this episode. And if at the end you could leave a review, I would be really grateful. But I hope you really enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while and, you know, had a few iterations but uh, thank you for joining today and coming on here. I really appreciate it. But before we get started, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of like introduce yourself and, you know, tell the listeners who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll kind of get into it. Okay. Thank you for having me. My name is Angie. Um, I have a small health and wellness business here in Calgary called Living Flow State. And I'm a certified coach, and I'm currently doing my master's in counseling psychology. Cool. And how do you describe your business? Because I think that's very important, and I wanted to ask you a question about it. So I would say that I do psychology and psych coaching, and the coaching that I do is more aligned to helping people identify their values and setting goals. And then the psychology part is more anything, I'd say, mental health related. Um, yeah, identifying the, the mental health component that really plays into, you know, people's blockages for, you know, setting goals and just aligning with living their best life. Yeah, and there's a component of like personality in there, right? Because there's that whole piece of helping people identify their personality traits so they can set their goals. Yeah, for sure. I'm really, um, I'm really focused on, um, helping people identify their values Mm -hmm. and kind of, especially for women, um, stepping into their power and, having the courage to step into their power and align themselves just with a, a life that's authentic to their values. Cool. And I, I guess, I mean, the way you describe it, psychology, insight, coaching, it sounds quite unique. It's almost like a hybrid between counseling and, and coaching, basically, from what I understand. Yeah, I would say that for sure. I also like, um, I have a, I'm pretty committed to my own mindfulness practice. So I also like to incorporate a lot of mindfulness practices and strategies into the work I do with people too. But yeah, it's definitely a hybrid of the both of the two. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess part of the conversation we wanted to have today was about 
relationship goals and conflict resolution and one of the areas we wanted to tap into was um, attachment styles and for those who aren't familiar there's a really good book out there called attached by dr amir levine uh, i can't remember the name of the second author but uh, really good book it helps you identify your attachment style but i guess for the purposes of this conversation um how would you like what attachment style do you identify as well i'd like to refer to myself as secure in training but i'm moving toward that from an avoidant attachment style okay and i'm anxious <laughs> so it's very common that uh anxious people seek out avoidant people in relationships because it does allow them to feed that narrative that they've had um, of abandonment um, but yeah we'll, we'll kind of get into some of the background in attachment styles in a bit here but as an avoidant uh, attachment style what are some things that you need and what are some things that you kind of um, that almost trigger you in a way so I'm really, um, conf I'm really uncomfortable with conflict, mm -hmm. as you know, and it's something I'm working really hard towards um, being more comfortable with, recognizing that conflict is a normal part of relationships, mm -hmm. but just being more comfortable with that. Um, my emotional safety is probably, and peace are probably the biggest things for me being avoidant. Um, so yeah, I shy away from conflict. I sh shy away from confrontation. Um, yeah, so I guess I need a lot of, when my emotional safety feels threatened, I need um, security and mm -hmm. peace and yeah, just time to mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. and yeah, just space. Yeah, and I think in order for repair to happen, there's certain things you need. And that's where you talk about the safety. So, you know, like speaking calmly, um, asking your needs, those are things that can help you feel comfortable enough to come back for a conversation, essentially, right? Um, and, and as an anxious person, for me, it's, again, the fear of abandonment and... Um, it's all, you know, we talk, there's words that are used like uh, distancer and pursuer. So avoidant people are typically the distancers and the anxious people are the pursuers. So as soon as my abandonment fears are triggered, I am pursuing mm -hmm. because I'm worried about, well, when will this person come back? Why are they leaving? And, you know, just kind of nerding out here, but John Bowlby is kind of the father of attachment styles and... Uh, a lot of these styles are, we kind of develop them as kids mm -hmm. and they carry into our adulthood, into our adult relationships. Um, I guess the biggest thing we want to highlight here is being aware of your attachment style, being aware of what you need and being aware of what your partner needs. You can easily, um, I mean, not easily because we still struggle with it, <laughs> but you can work towards a secure attachment style together um but yeah. yeah 
Yeah, and I think for you and I, the way it presents itself with you is you pers- the more you pursue, mm-hmm. the more I distance. Mm-hmm. And the more I distance, the more anxious you feel. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's just trying to find that balance. Yes. Yeah, it's trying to find a balance where there, it's safety for both of our needs being met. Absolutely. And I think we'll get into it in a little bit here about how to communicate that safety or um, resolving that conflict Mm -hmm. when it arises. I guess part of it I wanted to tap into also was a lot of the the childhood stuff that keeps showing up in people's adult relationships, right? So in my case, um, not feeling heard Mm -hmm. is a recurring theme and that keeps showing up um and for me it's really important to be heard and that's where i also get anxious but i guess for you um i it is something similar in a Mm -hmm. way yeah um but it triggers itself differently yeah i grew up in a house with um with a sibling who just had higher needs than Mm -hmm. i do Mm -hmm. and so as a result of that i i learned to um, keep my needs to myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for a lot. I was very independent. I was very um, isolated in my thinking. Mm-hmm. And I didn't express my needs because um, I didn't feel like there was space mm-hmm. for me to do so. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so, so, for me, it's kind of just becoming an unlearning Mm-hmm. of all the things I've learned as a child. Right. And one of the things you've learned is also not to rock the boat. Right. And that's kind of a tendency in terms of like not wanting to have difficult conversations right. because you'd rather keep the peace. Yes. Because that's what you learned. Right. And how does that <laughs> manifest <laughs> does... itself? <laughs> well, I've learned that keeping the peace actually just ends up... What I've learned about trying to be a peacekeeper is that it ends up just causing it doesn't I don't get my own needs met I put other people's needs before mine and at the end of the day I end up feeling miserable and resentful and not validated not heard Mm -hmm. to no one's fault other than my own because Mm I as I don't want to I'd rather just not talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, and and I guess what is one, I mean, amongst a lot of the things, what is one of the things you've been working on to be able to express yourself? Um, for me, I've been really working towards just assertive, communicating assertively and being more direct, like just coming out directly and asking you for what I need. Um, and not being afraid to do it. Um, yeah, just coming out and asking for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not feeling guilty for it or not feeling like I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to, or worrying about how it's going to impact everybody else. You know, just, this is something I need. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in a relationship too, by me expressing my needs and asking you and being honest, it's showing transparency and it's also giving you an opportunity mm-hmm. to step into a place of giving me what I need. Otherwise, you're trying to read my mind 
and that's not fair for you either. Right. And when you say assertively, I think there's like, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of, this is a good segue into like the Gottman method, mm-hmm. uh, but they have a script right. that they've suggested. And basically, you, I mean, do you want to talk through what the script looks like? Yeah. So a few, several, I think it was a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I approached you with something that I think normally I would have sat in for quite some time and I would have ruminated on and I would have, you know, gone quite far down the rabbit hole with, Mm -hmm. but instead I decided to approach it in a different manner and I approached it in the, when you blank, I feel blank and what I need from you is blank. And what I've learned is when you do that, you're removing perceptions and assumptions and adjectives and you're just presenting the facts. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say... You know, my, when you, um, like I'm not throwing in adjectives mm-hmm. to support my story. It's just the hundred percent fact that you and I could agree on when you do this and how I feel is this. Mm-hmm. And when I'm presenting my feelings to you, there's no place for you to get defensive because mm-hmm. it's just my feelings. I haven't attacked or criticized. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah, it's a very efficient, assertive, um, effective conflict resolution style. Absolutely. And I think by stating your needs, it's hard for me to argue with them Mm -hmm. or get defensive about. And I think one of the things we've learned uh, more so myself um, is is the absolute terms, right? Right. When I'm expressing my feelings or what I need, um, being mindful of not using words like you always do this or you never do this because chances are that's not the case. It's not accurate. (laughs) So by me saying that I'm already opening up an argument because you can easily argue that fact. Um, and it doesn't really, I mean, I think it, 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 it is an attack on you because it's not true. I'm making an accusation that you never do something. Well, and the minute that you use an absolute term, like Mm -hmm. let's say, for example, you were to say, um, I don't know, let's say I pick you up late and you're like, you are never here on time. Mm -hmm. All I'm thinking the entire time, of course, I go into immediate defense mode. Mm -hmm. And all I'm thinking about is the 800 other times that I did show up on time Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on this present moment that I might be late. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the things at least I've been working on is refraining from the, the absolute terms. And even if I do use them and I catch myself, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, can I rephrase? Yeah. Um, so I think that still helps the fact that I'm able to recognize it and correct myself rather than just, throwing it out there yeah and I, I feel the same way too a couple of weeks ago I was talking to you about giving blood and I you know I sent this text that was very it was very indirect and I mm-hmm. so I said hold on let me try again mm-hmm. I want to do that more assertively and so I reframed it which felt better to me I don't mm-hmm. know did it feel better yeah because yeah. I mean when you're expressing what you would like or right. what you want 
then it's a different conversation, yeah. right? And if you're giving me the choice, if you're asking me, do you want to go donate blood? I can say no mm-hmm. and not feel bad about it. Right. Whereas if you're pr- presenting it as, I want us to go donate blood. Right. Then it's a different conversation. Yes. Then I could say, well, can we do it this day? Or sure. Right. You know? Like it's that simple. Yeah. And um, I think... I guess we'll kind of talk about the the emotional bank account then because mm-hmm. uh, that's an important concept because I guess by doing things for each other, you uh, the way the, the emotional bank account works is like by doing things for each other, whether it's like, you know, like if your partner cooks dinner for you or they go run an errand for you or help you out with something that those are all deposits into your emotional bank account and over time you have a pretty decent or you should have a pretty decent balance Mm -hmm. where you can make withdrawals right yeah so if i say no to something that's me making a withdrawal and if the balance is built up then there's typically there wouldn't be a whole lot of issues right but if you're kind of running low or in the negative and you're making withdrawals then that's where conflict can happen or the other person may feel like they're not getting quality time they're not feel like feeling like they're seen or right or, or valued in the relationship well and i also think in regards like for you and i with that bank account it's also being comfortable letting somebody do those things for you mm-hmm. like for you and i it's like okay i'm at costco can i pick anything up for you it's like no i'm good but then you'd go to Costco the next day and pick some, you know, it's, mm-hmm. so it's allow like being okay with letting somebody, you know, yeah. fill, help fill that bank account. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and like the Costco grocery shopping is awesome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would do that for you any day. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I just love going there. Um, no. And, and I think what we touched on, um, <laughs> The Gottman stuff and like for people that don't know the Gottmans, they are the kind of the relationship gurus. They're able to predict uh, failure of relationships with almost like, I think it's close to 90%, 95% accuracy within yeah. 15 minutes of observing a couple. And what they focus on is what they call the four uh, ap- horsemen of the apocalypse, apocalypse. Yeah. yeah, which are stonewalling. Criticism, defensiveness, and contempt. Yeah, good job. And um, in our case, we tend to the like. I, I guess we all kind of exhibit the the four horsemen differently. But how do they show up for you? No, I don't. <laughs> um, I am a. St- I can stonewall. Well, mm. I can. <laughs> I can be defensive and um i've already forgotten oh criticism yeah for sure so Mm -hmm. those would be my three i don't think that i act contemptuous um no i don't think so and i think my the thing that i'm really trying to work on with criticism is i don't think it's being critical but you think it's being critical. So it's trying to find that balance of presenting something t- to you 
in a way that it doesn't like if you feel like it's critical we're hooped because then you get defensive right mm-hmm. so i have to find a really yeah i just have to be more careful in the way mm-hmm. i present it so yeah. yeah yeah what was it that your professor said <laughs> um she said that i have to uh I can't remember. What did she say? She said the the point of the exercise is oh, yeah. to focus on what's changed, <laughs> what's not, not what hasn't changed. <laughs> but yes. yeah. Yeah. And I guess for me, I, I kind of demonstrate, uh, I guess my go-to would be more uh, defensiveness and contempt, a little bit of stonewalling and probably not as much on the, well, okay. Well, I just got the look. So uh, I guess criticism too but i mean the the point is as soon as you do one of them it's game over yeah the conversation is over yeah essentially because now either person can feel flooded yeah or upset and you're not gonna have a a productive conversation right and one of the things we've had to work on is as soon as we identify that we are almost in a stalemate um and we 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 need to recognize that okay despite our attempts whether it's you or me trying to repair um the conversation is not gonna move forward and that's an opportunity for us to take healthy space Mm -hmm. but the biggest piece is communicating that and in the past and even now from time to time we struggle with putting a timeline to it and yeah. and one of the things the Gottmans talk about is you don't want to like step away from a conversation for more than 24 hours. Uh, the typical recommendation is, you know, if you can take a 20 minute break, that allows you to kind of regulate yourself um, because you're obviously escalated. Emotions are high. So by taking that small break, whether you go for a walk, whether you meditate, you breathe, um, that break can help but setting a timeline and sticking to it because then um that way both people know and and neither person is kind of worrying about when are we going to talk especially if you're anxious you know that's where things can get into a, a a loop right and even like in the middle of you know if we're you know even I don't know. It sounds like when we have conflict, we're always yelling and screaming and we're not like, even when we're just, I guess, conflict, just discussing it. And I start, you know, if I feel flooded or Mm -hmm. overwhelmed, I am sure you notice lots of times I'm just, you know, I sit and I'll, I'm taking a deep breath or Mm -hmm. lots of times I have to get up and just Mm -hmm. go to, yeah, go to a different room and it's just to kind of regroup and catch my breath again. And I think when you know, when we first got together and that was happening again, because of your anxious Mm -hmm. attachment style, when I got up and left a room for you, that was a, a, you know, that would trigger you. Like it was a really big deal. Whereas now you, I think you're able to recognize it as like, okay, she's just getting up to like, no, you don't. Well, I I think it's still, (laughs) I think it's still a form of stonewalling when you do walk away. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it's, um, of course, I know why you're walking away. Yeah. But in the middle of the conversation right. without communication, it's still like, okay, uh, is this conversation over? Right. Yeah. Or are we going to reconvene in 10 minutes, mm-hmm. 15 minutes? So I think the key is communication. Yeah. And, and 
Um, I, and again, it, it requires both people to hold themselves accountable and stick to it. It's not just one person's responsibility as we both know. Um, and I guess part of all of this is to understand that there is um, a lot of work that each individual needs to put in um, to understand themselves, their own patterns, and um, and both people need to do that work because you know we've talked about it. If if only one person's doing it, they're now speaking a different language. Yeah. Meanwhile. Uh, the other person is still kind of like, well, I don't know what these terms mean. I don't know uh, what these agreements are. So it, it requires both people to put in that time and effort and work uh, in order to see change or progress. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for two people to come to the table with um, like a common a common goal. And I think... You know, there's lots of times when you and I have to remind each other that um, it's not you, it's not me, this is an us thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and having that, like, yes, you know, there's something, there's an issue, but it's not me against you or you against me, it's us versus the problem. Mm -hmm. So what can we do together to best solve this problem Mm -hmm. you know absolutely yeah yeah and and i think the times we do get stuck is when we feel like it's me against you or vice versa and uh that's where we're not being effective well because both you and i are really good at personalizing Mm -hmm. and i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) i know that's been something i've also been trying to work really hard at is um not personalizing and not assuming all the time that something was done with intention to hurt you know there was no intent behind what happened or what you did um yeah for whatever reason it happened but there wasn't I can't there's nothing about it I can personalize or I mean, I could, but it does is it's of no value to me to personalize it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we talked about recently, I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise, but it needed to be said is that <clears throat> there's going to be times where I'm going to upset you mm-hmm. and you're going to upset me, and that is okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean that when you do upset me that you're a terrible person and I hate your guts. <laughs> um, you it, might in the moment, but... Well, no, no, (laughs) but it's true, right? Like there are things that you're going to do that are going to upset me and I'm going to need that time and space for myself as long as I'm communicating it with you. Yeah. However, it doesn't mean that I think you're a bad person or I'm done. Like I'm like, you know what? One strike and you're out. Yeah. And you know, I think we do struggle with that and I think... When you're in a relationship with someone, you obviously don't want them to think that you are doing stuff on purpose or with intent and just being mindful of that, um, that again, being able to separate yourself from the problem yeah, or the issue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I guess for me, one of the things that has been really helpful, and it may not work for everyone, but I do find journaling helps because... Um, it allows me to be, you know, be able to put my thoughts on paper, 
Otherwise, I sit there and ruminate. And the second I'm able to put it on paper, I'm able to uh, work through it in a very different manner. Uh, I think with journaling, it uses the left side of your brain, which is the creative side, I believe, which I lack. <laughs> but it, it, it allows you to just think differently and not overanalyze, <clears throat> which is part of my issues. I tend to overanalyze and make up a story and then I fall into this uh, rabbit hole, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are things that you do to kind of regulate and, and work through it? Um, well, I have a really, you know, every day I have a, a committed mindfulness practice, which I think helps keep me regulated on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I find, or I, I used to use um, my meditation almost as more of a safety behavior though. And I would use it in acute moments kind Mm -hmm. of as a way to regulate myself. Um, And then I realized that that's what I was using it as, as a safety behavior instead of, you know, it became more of a, um, like not a productive, it wasn't a good coping skill. Mm -hmm. So now for me, it's more about just taking a pause taking space, um, depersonalizing, and just being mindful of the facts. Like, what do I know for sure? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would I, say. I guess one of the biggest traps for both of us is the assumptions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess being, again, being aware of the assumptions and one of the things that I've learned is being able to phrase it that way saying hey this happened I'm assuming this is that correct mm-hmm. and that way the other person knows that it you're not kind of blaming them you're just making an assumption and you're testing it with them right rather than just kind of coming at it as a as a factual statement um, yeah have you actually ever said that to me? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at giving what, advice. <laughs> that's going to be the new way you're going to do it? Uh, I will hold myself accountable. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I, I just like giving advice. <laughs> it's harder to practice. It's All of this is incredibly hard to practice. Yes. And we've, we've had many conversations about having um, practice... What do we call it? Like practice conflict or... Yeah, like mock mock conflict. And I think, again, what happens for you and I for sure is that, you know, we get on a really good streak and we hesitate to talk about the things that are brewing or bothering us because we're on this really good streak. And it's like, oh, things are so great right now. You Mm -hmm. don't want to disrupt that flow. But we also both realize that those are the those are the best times absolutely to have those conversations yeah i think when we've had uh, successful difficult conversations we've actually both felt really good oh and yeah. it brings us even closer together totally. so yes. i mean there it is a gift um if you choose to take the risk yeah. But I think you're, you're right. It is those moments when you want to have those conversations because during conflict, you know, uh, because you've been bottling or internalizing a lot of stuff, it's going to come out in an unhealthy fashion and the other person may not even be in a space to receive it or yeah. give you what you need. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And I know for both you and I too, what's worked is, you know, when we're, again, when it's not in the moment or not in a, you know, acute and we've both been able to say, Hey, listen, like I have something I want to talk to you about. This Mm -hmm. is really important. And then I think we both are, you know, we're not on defense because it's come from more of a place of love and, Mm -hmm. you know, concern. And it's like, Oh, my, my partner's hurting and I, I want to help them through that as opposed to feeling defensive and attacked. Yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess one of the, the last things I wanted to touch on was love languages, mm-hmm. which, um, fortunately for us, we kind of have the same, Yeah. but I think most people do struggle when the tendency is to, um, kind of give the other person what you would want. If it's- that makes sense. Like, if I like gifts, and that's my love language, I will give my partner gifts, thinking that's what they want. Right. And then when they don't appreciate it, you're like, well, what do you mean you don't appreciate it? I don't feel valued. And all these feelings come up. Meanwhile, you know, the the person hasn't put in the time to ask their partner what their love language is. Yeah. And that can go a long way. Because in our case, you know, we really value quality time together. Um, you know, I don't think we shower each other with fancy gifts, but it's thoughtful gifts. Well, you did get me those pretty wicked headphones. Well, they don't work now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and I think even that had some meaning to it. Right? For sure it did. So yeah. I think it's understanding your partner's love language and, and being able to give that to each other because that helps it goes a long way do you want to say what the love languages are well there's five right words of affirmation quality time touch touch gifts gifts Uh oh no i think there's only four okay well anyways gary chapman is the author of the book the five i think it's the five love oh yeah you're right it is the five yeah (laughs) yeah it'll come I'll, i'll it'll come back to me but Again, I mean, just for people listening, just be aware of not only your own love language because you want to be able to express that to your partner, but also asking your partner what their love language is. Right. So you can give that to them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that was um, important. I guess one of the last questions I would have for you is if you wanted to pass any words of wisdom or advice what is the one thing that you would say advice in regards to what um, like words of wisdom in regards to well i think for anyone that you know quite often i hear from friends that you know they're struggling in their relationships and um they don't know what to do but in general like i think in terms of being able to show up as a a healthy partner what Mm -hmm. kind of advice you would give well I think it goes back to what you said before it's doing that self-work for sure I think first and foremost I would do do the work on yourself like Mm -hmm. spend the time you know diving deep and facing your demons and um self-compassion I think is a really big piece forgiveness is a really big piece and then just being okay 
having those hard conversations. Those hard mm-hmm. conversations are are game changers, um, and they suck in the moment, mm-hmm. and, and you know they can. Well, that's why they're called hard conversations. Yeah, I mean they make you nervous, and it's just you want to avoid them, but yeah, they are the game changers. So I'd say stepping into those and just, I think. I think the most important question that I ever hear from you is what do you need right now? Like, or how can I support you right now? Mm -hmm. And when you say to me, like, what, what do you need right now? It, for me, that kind of just makes time stand still. And I'm like, okay, he's in this with me, Mm -hmm. you know, he's here with me and nothing else matters in this moment, except he wants to, give me what I need. So I've learned that from you. Like, what do you need from me? And then it's my job to also step in that moment and offer you that opportunity. And this is what I need from Mm -hmm. you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's not something I just knew. It's come with time Mm -hmm. and it's been more recent. And, And I guess for me, on the flip side, what I've learned is especially if I'm going to ask that question. But in general, what I've learned is just um, listening. Just (laughs) keeping my mouth shut and listen. And not listen so I can fire back with an argument or prove another point, but just listening so I can hear you and, and hear what you need and what you're feeling. And that, you know, is another thing I've worked on more recently. But... Um, and it's something I continue to work on because I think the listening in itself is very powerful. Um, so yeah, I think without taking that opportunity and time and giving you that space where I could just sit and listen, um, as hard as it can be at times. (laughs) And, and I just want to differentiate that listening does not mean that I have to agree with you. Listening means that I understand your feelings. Now, how you feel is how you feel. I can't argue with that. But I don't have to necessarily agree with it. And, you know, in the moment, saying that is not helpful either. So <laughs> We've learned that the yeah, hard way. <laughs> like, just, yeah, if you don't agree with the other person, you probably don't want to tell them in the moment. But just listen. And, and again, just because you don't, agree doesn't mean you can't listen and you can't give that person what they need um and in our case we both see things so differently we have a different perspective totally different views of the world yeah yeah i think and that's okay too yeah like you're not gonna see things the same way as your partner as long as you have values that you share Mm -hmm. um and the communication Um, those are the important pieces but yeah in our case because we see the world differently and we have a different perspective we're not going to agree on things but what matters is how the other person feels Mm -hmm. and being able to listen to that Mm -hmm. yeah no for sure and I think in um, you know I appreciate the way that not all the time but there's lots of time, you know, like it's a different perspective and, you know, it's, oh, okay. It helps me better understand mm-hmm. you. Like, oh, that's why 
you perceived it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it helps me, yeah, it helps me understand you more, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah, and I think we value that, especially when our feelings are not involved. But mm-hmm. like, even when we're out and about and we observe things we both see it so differently yeah that when we come home and talk about it it's interesting to get your perspective and vice yeah. versa right for yeah. you to be like oh you saw it that way i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> so i think it's really cool to have that where you can balance each other out because otherwise if we both saw things the same way it would kind of be boring i think yeah right so um but yeah i think you know that's those are the things I wanted to cover today uh so again I appreciate um you know you coming on here and and sharing all this and having this conversation and I'm uh glad I was able to listen to you thanks you're welcome um but yeah for listeners that want to get a hold of you and maybe you know get in touch what are the best ways of reaching out to you um, Instagram's probably my go-to. So I'm living flow state on Instagram or, um, email Angie at living flow state. Um, yeah, those are probably the two at livingflowstate.com. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Livingflowstate.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those are probably my two, my two primaries. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And again, please leave a review at the end of the episode. I would truly appreciate it. Until next week.